Hello and welcome to Self Obsessed. This is Jeff Grace, your host, comedian, filmmaker, and self-help obsessive. I am here today with Dr. Robert Carter III. The third, right? That's correct. It's impressive. Your family's doing something right. <laughs> uh, you wrote a book with your wife. Correct. Also a doctor. Exactly. Curdy Carter. It's called The Morning Mind. And uh, it's a book that is going to revolutionize the way we all wake up and go to bed. And uh, tell me a little bit, uh, Robert, Like, so you are a military man, still to this day. Still to this day, Correct. And we were, I was joking with you on the phone that we, I was going to make you talk about all sorts of military conspiracies <laughs> about sleep experiments and MKZ. But t- tell me how you got involved in sleep and in the military. And and and, and uh, I'm really excited. The book is great. And I, I'm i hoping that after our conversation, I will finally get my sleep in order. So Yes, yes, I hope so as well. <laughs> so so uh, as we were talking, uh, I got involved in sleep really while in graduate school. We, we had a... Uh, a laboratory that was involved in a wide range of really, I would say, ultimately, um, health factors. So we were, we were studying uh, sleep, we were studying exercise, we were studying diet, but but mainly uh, sleep was really the core of our lab. So I had an opportunity to uh, to study, you know, uh, sleep from from a nerve perspective. You know, really understanding how the body uh, responds to sleep and specifically sleep disorders. And then that this really is for just, the military. For the, this is actually in graduate school, and then and then that really um, during that time in graduate school, I was also uh, a reservist. So I was in the military. So I had military reserve duty at a laboratory. In, in uh, what, what what era is this? This is in the nineties, late nineties. So you're the generation that was like. You go to the military, you, you you go into the reserves, you're never going to go to war. You're never going to go to war, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I'm so, sorry. So, 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 yeah, and I was, and I'll, I'll we'll talk about Well, you're the in the Afghan. military still, so is, exactly. you're not going to criticize the military. Exactly. So, so yeah, so so I was studying uh, sleep, uh, sleep disorders, and then in that period of time, really just transitioned uh, from, from being in graduate school to serving my, my active duty three-year stint as a military scientist, and so... There we really got involved in really understanding what are the limits of sleep. So how much sleep do you really need? What's optimal sleep? And at the time, sort of the the idea is that you really only needed you know three or four hours of, of, of sleep without it impacting performance. And that's so, that's the belief at the time of the night. That was the belief because we of the talked time. about this. I was like, you know, the, when I was growing up, it was all about how can you get as little sleep as possible exactly. so that you can live the most full life. Tony Robbins would always brag about how, you know, you only need like an hour of sleep. Um, Jay Leno was famous for only getting, you know, four and a half hours of sleep a night. Exactly. And now that's completely shifted, I feel. It's like. completely shifted. You know, and I think what, what what we really begin to understand is what is sleep, the quality of sleep, and, and ultimately, you know, how can you really optimize that sleep? And then then we there's a big discussion about whether or not you're uh, an early riser, a lark, or are you a uh, night owl? And a, a lot of that has really generated a, a huge discussion about how much sleep do you need. Do you, do you what, believe in that concept of there's night owls and there's morning people? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's probably a small percentage of individuals that are that are truly early risers. You know, one one to five percent, and on on the other end of truly being night owls. And and for the most part, we're all somewhere in the middle. Right. And, and it's really about finding 
that optimal amount of sleep you need as an individual. And, and, and that's really some trial and error. You know, if, if you think you're a night owl, you know, just, just try and do what I would refer to as kind of reflective thinking. So just, you know, if you, if you find yourself you losing your train of thought, if you find yourself, you know, getting distracted or, you know, I, 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 uh, I have a bit of ADD, you know, if you feel like that, we share, ADD we share that worse, affliction. Yes. Is uh then then you need to probably think you know think about getting more sleep or going to sleep a little bit earlier. But I but I think now the our environment really drives folks to really stand up a lot later than they think than really they should. And and so so many of us now think we're we're night owls, but in actuality it's just combination of electronic devices, partying, and other things that really lead us to thinking we. I like uh, you just slipped in partying, like but it's just like you know, you know, you know it's Tuesday night, you're out partying. That might affect that might affect your sleep. Exactly, partying does uh, it did affect my sleep a lot in my twenties. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I just had a random party happen on a Tuesday night. And, yeah. Um, sorry. So you're in grad school. You're a reservist. Yes. Uh, is that the first Persian Gulf War? This is uh no, this is after the Persian exactly, Gulf exactly War. 9/11. This is this Most is uh, yeah, so I was in literally in graduate school finishing up actually I finished my PhD um, May of two thousand twenty one. And so um, I reported uh, to my first laboratory. I was in training during that and time. Two thousand one. Two thousand one. Nine eleven happens, everything changes. Yeah. You know, so so yeah, I was in, in that transition between graduate school and Did you and my think first right military. away after nine eleven? Did you think that day, oh shit, we're gonna have to go to we're probably I'm probably gonna we're probably going somewhere. Yes, yes. But but again, as a scientist, I I thought, okay, I'm gonna support, I'll I'll continue and, and that I was obviously young, you know, thinking, Oh yeah, I'm gonna continue doing science, you know, and and, and, and supporting the the effort, but I think I think many people wasn't quite sure exactly what was What's going to happen. Yeah, was was going to happen during that time? So, so you're out trying to create the next Steve Rogers, the next Captain America through scientific experiment in the military. Yes. So so when so you graduate, what's the first job you have in the military? First job, I was a research physiologist, and and and, and so so there I was assigned to a group. You know, it was a. Uh, uh, thermal and mountain medicine division and we were really it, it was really a group we were specifically studying the uh the, the uh how environmental factors influence human performance both physical performance cognitive performance across a wide range of environmental conditions uh heat cold um type of pikes peak and and a lot of that shifted obviously it's in colorado as, springs then so so we have a laboratory in Colorado Springs. I went but, to college there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so it's but it, but we also have environmental chambers where we could literally replicate any environment uh, on on the face of the planet. So so during those days, we were primarily uh, involved in heat, but but as the as the uh, as the likelihood of obviously having troops deployed to to Afghanistan increased, uh, a lot of our focus shifted around you know dehydration. You know, obviously, in, in those conditions, you would expect not to not to have as much water. Obviously, impact of high altitude on 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 physiology, and 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 shifted a lot towards studying cognitive function. You know, so how does cognitive function shift? Because a lot of the research had showed that it, that sleep deprivation, dehydration, the environment has some impact on on physical performance. Most of that is in elite athletes. So folks that's kind of in the range of kind of, you know, normal, not elite, not that one to two percent Olympic type athlete, the impact of, of these factors were relatively minimal, right? You know, because it's when it was it's, it's within your normal variability of how well you perform. But um, the interaction of those factors, exercise 
and in cognitive function really were largely unknown. That's interesting. So, because I would think that if you're deployed as a soldier these days, you're really there to deploy smart weapons. Yeah. So your mental fatigue is far more important. It, no longer are we soldiers that it peak performance physically is the, as important. Exactly, exactly. So sleep, I would imagine, is a huge... If you have a drone pilot, if you have a someone who's executing a, a missile strike... This sounds so dark. Um, <laughs> but it, those those errors are huge yes, if, you, yes, if you're not yes. thinking correctly. Yeah, exactly. And so, so sleep becomes paramount. But again, as I described, not everybody requires seven hours. Not everybody requires eight hours. But for the most part, whether you're in the military or you... Or you're a banker, you know, your employer, you know, they don't perform an actual uh, a sleep performance test before they hire you. They hire you to work and <laughs> and, and, and uh, with the assumption that everybody can uh, can perform with whatever amount of sleep, you know, they're they're, they're getting or are they, are they going to incorporate, you know, the right sleep hygiene so that they adjust their, their sleep to maximize their performance. I mean, we grew up in an era where sleep was seen as weakness. Right. You know that the if you're a macho male or high powered executive female, to, to sleep was sort of a, if anything over five hours was, was seen as fr- you know frivolous, and then the movement I felt like sort of snapping back a little bit. I think Ariana Huffington, Huffington, yes, Ariana Huffington was sort of the uh, um, she was one of the first people I saw that was really emphasizing sleep. Yes, for sure. But still to this day, I don't think anyone really knows how much sleep is too much sleep. You know, sometimes you'll see a study. People that have eight and a half hours of sleep or more are more likely to suffer heart attacks. Yes, yes. Which might be causal, right? They might be, you might be like sweeping in people that are depressed or something in that that's yes, that study. It, but um, one thing I loved about your book was that you had uh, there's different times that you should wake up based upon what age you are, right? Which obviously makes sense, right? When we were teenagers, sleeping until noon felt quite right. right. And now, as I got no, I'm getting older. Six o'clock seems like you know sleeping. Um, so. Before we get also let's let's continue with your military and then we'll d- dive into the book because I want to talk about what some of your guys' findings. But so you're deployed, you're working primarily on dehydration, exactly. high altitude, heat. So Afghanistan's also how many? What's the altitude there? It's really high, right? It's pretty high, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, but then you're starting to stumble into sleep as a as a factor for military performance. Yes, yes. So so sleep has been really part of my. My interest, um, like I said, for the last, really last, um, more than 20 years, um, from from a, not just sleep, sleep deprivation, sleep disorders, but the interaction of those on the performance of, 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 uh, of humans. So so we begin to um, have more interest in, in, uh, in, in the aspect of sleep, largely because of the, the uh, in a deployed setting, you know, that I even personally experienced, uh, sleep can be disruptive right you know you know sleep we there, there really isn't this this concept of okay you know the uh it's seven let, let, let's have some dinner and, and go to sleep and we'll wake up and continue whatever we're doing at, at six because you're in a complex environment where it's disruptive you know things happen in the middle of the night obviously some, some somebody has to basically stay stay awake and, and so we really begin an interest in this concept of uh sustained operations you know and, and and disruptive sleep, you know, whether or not you could get like a, a nap, right? And, and, you know, incorporating a nap into it or some downtime and, and really beginning to understand how that 24 hour circadian period, that, that, that period, how much sleep do you actually need and what type of sleep can you get 
that would allow you to really, it's all about maximizing performance and over that 24 hour period, over that 72 hour period, you know, over a longer period of time. But there are definitely times, acute periods of time when, when, uh, when, when the lack of sleep can really become disruptive. And unfortunately, most of us, and that's one of the things we really try to emphasize in the book is that each individual has to really do some self-learning. I mean, first of all, and become aware of how much sleep they actually need so that they can basically create their own strategy. Cause you're right. Uh, much of what we hear is, is conflicting. You know, everything from, you know, minimize your sleep to four hours or, or whatever to, to, you know, seven to even 12 hours of sleep. Right. And, and so, so yeah, so, so we really tried to, you know, just lay it out in a way that, that an individual can, you know, obviously these are self-help books, so they should be helpful. And, and, and the idea is really so you can systematically say, you know, not to make it over, overly scientific or, or, or medical, but really, you know, just in a simplistic way, what, what somebody would walk away understanding, having a better idea of how these multiple factors in, in influence their mind and body. Because, again, we're all really trying to optimize, you know, our health and well-being. Right. Well, I think what's good about your book is that there's science behind it all. Exactly. But it doesn't feel overly scientific. Exactly. Uh, I was not a great science student in college and in <laughs> high school. So, uh, so in the military, what did you guys find? Because I'll give you an example. Like I am someone that I can get away with five hours of sleep a night, but I kind of need a nap in the afternoon. Yes. Which sounds crazy to say as an adult. Yes. I will say that Bill Clinton was known for napping. Yes. How do you feel about that that regimen of maybe five and a half hours of sleep at night and then maybe like a 45-minute nap during the day? Do you feel like that's... Would you be better off getting a full eight hours of sleep and then not napping? Yeah, yeah. You know, so napping, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. Napping is a great way to augment your uh, your, your, your 24-hour sleep. What you don't want to do, so, and, and napping appears to be most optimal. Again, individual variability, social norms, all those type of things that may, you know, uh, prevent someone from being able to do this. But if you got, like, you know, five or six hours of sleep at night and then you, you got into that at 1 30 to 4 4 p.m period of time and, and got anywhere from as little as 15 minutes to about 45 minutes of of, of, of true quality nap uh that will greatly optimize the rest of your day and uh, I, mean, I feel that way some yeah. people can't nap right they, they if they go down they can't get back up i mean i could take a nap at nine o'clock at night for 15 minutes fully pass out wake up and go out Yes, yes. But I, I have my girlfriend, for instance, if she goes down at nine for a nap, she's not coming back. She's done. No, no, exactly. So, and, that, and that's where, you, you know, again, uh, and, and one of the things I think that influenced that is is obviously kind of where you are in that spectrum, you know, ranging from lark, you know, to night owl. And, and then uh, what else physiologically is going on with your body? You know, I, I would say that 15-minute nap, you're... Part of it too, what allows you to get up is, is how much excitement you know, <laughs> what or what you're waking up to actually do. If if you had to wake up to study calculus, <laughs> would, my, my would you be sleeping. as motivated, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, in college, I definitely remember slap was uh, sorry, nap was sort of a uh, procrastination. <laughs> exactly, it was like maybe if I nap, I'll feel the enthusiasm. It's, it's exactly, exactly. And I'm the same way, you know. If I if I get a nap too late, uh, it, it, I'm done. You're done. I'm Are done. you a napper? I. Uh, not not in your regular schedule. Not not in my regular schedule, but I, but I will take um, periods of time, and and either utilize uh, you know like some type of you know breath based meditation or um, my my wife has gotten really into subliminals, 
you know, just, just, just close eyes, relax. And, and so not a full nap, um, but, but really some way of just kind of quieting the mind and just kind of um, backing away from what I'm doing. And, and I find that just as energizing. Wow. And, and, and for how long? 15 minutes? Five 15, minutes? 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And even, even five minutes, you know, just, you know, doing some simple, you know, just uh, alternate nostril breathing or just, you know, just, just, you know, closing your eyes and listening to your, 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 your breath and just kind of controlling it for five minutes can be as energizing in a, and it has some, there's been some great work on that as well. You just said alternate nostril breathing. Yes. I, I don't know how to breathe out of uh, one nostril out of the other. Yeah. How does this work? Are you literally having to close one nostril? Yeah. Yeah. So you just, you're literally taking your thumb, blocking one, one side of the nostril and then breathing in and then, um, and then breathing out the other side, blocking the other side. So you're alternating blocking your, your nostril, uh, uh, to uh, to fluctuate uh, the uh, your breathing pattern, so it feels kind of circular, if you will. So you're breathing in one nostril, breathing out the other, and then you switch the pattern. Then, at then some you point. switch exactly, exactly. How long are you doing that? Five minutes. And that will, and is that just a, a sort of an elaborate way, just to be like by concentrating a little bit on that kind of breathing? It's almost like a distraction. Like, oh, I'm doing this thing with my nostrils. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about all this stuff I have to do. Yes. Yes. So I think that's part of it. But but then but then there's some very good physiology. And I think it goes back to the, uh, you know, more of the mammalian brain of the of breathing relationship to the actual brain. So there's, there's definitely some some neuroscience behind it. But you, you're, you're spot on. Uh, part of it for sure is uh, it, it allows you to focus on something. Uh, and, and so that withdrawal from the computer, withdrawal from electronic devices, withdrawal from whatever you're reading, um, it definitely has, has a calming effect. But, but there's definitely a, 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 a physiological basis for sure. Well, here's my problem with meditation is that if I'm slammed at work, the last thing I f- it feels like I should be doing is stopping. You know, the, the, temp- you know, the feeling is if I need to put every ounce of every minute of my day into getting this thing done. Yes. So the idea of, let's say, taking a nap or a meditation, meditation in particular feels like, at least if it's a nap, I'm like, all right, this will actually restore me. Yes. The problem with meditation is like, it's not going to give me the same restorative effect as a nap. And I, and then I'm also not getting anything done. It feels like that, the hardest thing about meditation is convincing yourself you need that. It, you know, it's the old Abraham Lincoln yes, quote. Yes. You know, if I had... Seven hours, I'd spend six sharpening my saw before chopping down a tree. You know, that idea of sharpening the saw is really hard to, to it, implement. It, it's really hard. And I think I think you just hit on a great point. And I always like to use exercise, you know, because I, I was an athlete in college and, 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 and today I continue to exercise. But, I, but I'll tell you, there appears a time when I, when I stop. And, uh, and the hardest thing is starting back. And obviously that first week, you're sore and you're like, ah, this doesn't seem very beneficial. And, but over time, you, you, it's, it's more effortless, right? And you really get the endorphin release and you feel more energized from the exercise, but starting off is painful. And I, I would say, uh, meditation, uh, um, breath based, you know, mindfulness, all these types of processes that, that definitely are useful and helpful to restore the body and mind. Uh, much like when you're starting off with with exercise, until you have been practicing for a while, um, it's a lot of effort, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and most folks fall off the wagon. And, and we, we we spend some time, you know, describing um, how you can sort of 
uh, incorporated in. And one of the things, regardless, is not to feel discouraged, right? So even right. if you take a nap, you know, I think you brought up a good point. A lot of times when we, you know, try, try, you know, we, we're, we're slammed, you know, and, and, and what we, what we typically do when we're slammed, but we, we, we skip lunch, right? <laughs> we skip exercise, you know, we skip anything, we, you know, we sleep three or four hours a night because, because we're thinking, okay, I'm, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get as much done in that 24 hour period. What we don't recognize is that, yeah, you know, skipping lunch has a huge physiological impact. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's well described that missing meals greatly reduces your, your ability to do reflective thinking. And so normally folks that are. So it's not, the, it's not the food itself. It's just that break. It's, it's the break. And also the, uh, you know, the, 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 the regulation of, of your blood, of, of glucose in your blood, the impact of that on cortisol, impact of that on all the hormones in your body. So, so, so basically when you, and this has been well documented in human and animal studies. You know, when you go to this starvation state, you know, the, the body is in survival mode. And uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you are in survival mode. You're focused on surviving. <laughs> not necessarily. You're not reflecting on. Is it oh, bad? <laughs> is it bad? I, I have to say that I don't think I've ever. I'm like, I'm not a man. I've never been in survival mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. So, so, I, so I've been hungry a couple of times, but I don't know if it's about life or death. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but again, if you find yourself in one of those situations you're really not thinking, okay, about, um, oh, tomorrow I have, uh, you know, I'm flying to New York, you know, f- to, to go to a Broadway play. You're thinking about, I am. Is that true. your portrayal of my lifestyle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just, I just fly to New York to see Broadway plays. I wish I, I wish that was my life. I gotta go see a Broadway play tomorrow and I'll fly back in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, but again, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the impact of those, of skipping a meal, not getting enough sleep. A lot of times we don't recognize the impact of that on our mind and body. Our right. ability to, to, uh, and one of the important aspects that, that we definitely don't track very well is the impact of, of, uh, of lack of regular meals, lack of sleep, uh, lack of ways to really help, um, you know, relax the mind and, and body exercise, maybe, um, other ways. Um, it's the impact on our emotional regulation. So I don't know if you've ever been around someone that, you know, has basically been, been uh, sleep deprived or skipped a meal. You get bad news. You don't take it nearly as well because yeah. you're already irritated. You know, and, and, I find yeah. for me it's irritation and frustration or it's a totally man- lack of sleep manifests in irritability for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the number one thing. And interesting, I'm glad you mentioned that because the irritability, uh, so so kind of back to this concept of of larks versus night owls, um, the the lack of sleep, okay, and that's also some personality in there as well, and and, and so uh, an individual that that is type A personality, sleep deprived, emotionally dysregulated, right? They get bad news often will hit the roof because bad news to them is what disruptive because i'm already maxed out on tapped out on time and now you're giving me something well that immediately makes everything uh, much more difficult and as i talked about before whole concept of reflective thinking you know which is obviously obviously for an executive so for someone having to make complex decisions is disruptive you know i I know you talked about you know your role as a director Mm -hmm. you have to be thinking okay what's next projecting and uh, and not well, losing that's track. That's a job of- where I have to say, I don't know how you do it on. That that's a job where I was getting 
you get, you know, if you're shooting for a month, you get five hours of sleep. Yes. And then maybe on the weekends you can catch up a little bit. But I remember after a month of that, the amount that, you know, you can, it's sort of this sprint for a month. You shoot, and then I felt literally the most exhausted I've ever felt was the week I came back to Los Angeles and I couldn't do anything. Yes. Yes. Because it it was almost like my body, which I, it seems crazy to think, but like sleep deprivation for a solid month can lead to almost felt like depression. Uh, it, it can lead to depression. And also you think about your job is to be creative. <laughs> right. You know, so 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 the first thing that goes away when, when your body is, is in that state. So that's survival mode. So you have experienced survival because you, 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 you had to get something done. You had a short amount of time. So you had to compromise a lot of things. So that's that's survival. And I went to the, you know, the last film I shot, I had the flu. Yes, yes. For, for a solid week in the middle yes. where I just was like, I was pounding, oh God, what is it called? Mucinex. I, mean, I, was, I was pounding yes. Mucinex like it was, like I might have been a Mucinex addict at one point. Yes. Uh, the most disgusting drug name of all time. Uh, but yeah, that was probably closest. Yeah, that, I don't want to call it survival mode, but <laughs> that was maybe the most I've peaked, like just peak, you know, putting every effort I had, minimizing sleep to the vast, you know, because you really just had no time and you had to, Sleep really was in the way of, if I sleep another hour, that's one more thing I can't figure out. But there's a diminishing return, right? Because if if you, if you get three hours of sleep, your brain is so scrambled, you can't think clearly. And it, particularly yes. when it's a complex... For me, I, uh, I don't know if you've read the book uh, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Yes, yes. But for me, I noticed that if I get a full eight hours, my ability to do complex deep work, screenplay writing outlining a you know a, a two-hour two narrative something like that where it's a lot of moving parts far better when i have sleep whereas if, if i have only five four hours of sleep i can get a lot of you know busy work done sending emails you know this kind of shallow work i'll call it um like so in the military i mean where does the military now value sleep do you feel like more do you think yes. like they, they i mean are they forcing soldiers to get their shut eye well it's hard to force anybody <laughs> yeah. to do anything but but for sure there's definitely much more emphasis on on the importance of uh of diet exercise and sleep um uh, and and i think now we really been we really begin to recognize and so so how we caveat is basically say you should be focused on these things as long as the mission, you know, obviously you're not, you're not going to get eight, eight, eight to nine hours of sleep, seven and eight, seven hours of sleep if it doesn't support what you're doing. But, but we do recognize, and I think now there's, there's definitely a culture, um, of, of the, of the importance of sleep. Because one of the things that, that sleep is linked to that, that, uh, that we, we can all recognize. And again, preponderance of evidence that if you're chronically sleep deprived, you're more likely to get sick, you know, because there's a uh, direct a thousand percent. I have tracked my entire life. Yes, my sickness. I get sick. It's, it's like, oh, I went five days in a row with four and a half hours of sleep. I, I will guarantee I get sick. I can feel it coming on, and every time it comes on, I'm like, that was because I didn't sleep. And sickness for me is a hundred percent parallel. So if you think about, um, at some point, you're going to have to pay for it. So that prolonged period of time, and again, sometime. You know, life requires it. You know, work requires it. But again, uh, that period of time, and then then you're sick. Okay, you get the flu. Something else happens, and now you're down for you know two or three days where you literally don't feel like doing anything. 
And then, then you rebound back and you kind of get into the cyclical pattern. Again, not everybody experiences that. Because sickness but it, is often, for me, when I've gotten the most sleep I've ever had. Right. You get the flu, you go to bed at 8, you wake up the next day at noon. Yes, yes. That never happens in real life. There's something about our – I had this epiphany recently where if you get sick, it's the worst. That's You don't want to get sick. You're out for a week or you know you can get some work done, but it's not – you know. But I wish there was – even – I work in a very – progressive modern day workplace but even you know when we're busy the thought of saying hey can i come in at noon just so i can sleep in you could never say it, it just seems like a it seems like you're being weak it, but exactly. meanwhile like wouldn't it be better to just sleep in on a random wednesday then get sick exactly but how you know but we, our culture doesn't support that right our now. culture does not support it and i and, and i think the we're we're slowly shifting but 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 part of the problem is that the information that we receive uh, meaning how much sleep do we really need? Um, uh, whether it's, you know, again, ranging from four hours to eight and a half, uh, to seven and a half, whatever. I think that, 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 uh, executives, the, uh, the, the overall culture, um, is, is influenced greatly by, by that misinformation. Right. Because, and also the, whether or not there's really a concept of night owl versus a lark, you know, all of that, that mixed information, uh, confuses uh, um, uh, um, uh, the, the workplace because the perception is that well, if you if you need to sleep in, that means that you went to sleep very late, right? <laughs> and and and, uh, and that you, you need to improve your own individual sleep hygiene without any respect for the variability in the population. So again, the uh, the night owls, the true night owls, are individuals that are more leaning towards more more of a a, a night owl physiology. They're they're often viewed in the workplace as lazy, showing up late. But but again, their their hours of productivity tend to be a little bit after lunchtime, and, and they can be productive for four or five hours. My producer, who's going to be listening to this, he's classic night owl. I mean, he if I text him at one in the morning, I get a text right back. Right. And right. Uh, he and he, I think he's actually been. This is the year where he's kind of scaled back. But he used to be like work till four, five in the morning, get up at ten, eleven. You know, but to me, I've but I've read that people that have that schedule tend to live long, don't live as long. It's it's bad on. It, it seems like you know, and we know that people that work night jobs, you know, have a lot more risk of heart attack, you know, diabetes. Right. And and part of it is is uh, all of our hormones in the body are all driven on on a circadian rhythm, and 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 it's really driven by the sun. You know, humans were evolved outside, not not, not indoors, and so um, our our genetic makeup is really driven by 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 sunrise, and uh, which is tied to uh, to to melatonin, and all of our hormones are sort of on this circadian uh, on this circadian rhythm, and so when we begin to uh, shift away from that, so folks that ind- individuals that work shift work, right? You know, the hormones that are, are, are raging, are, are bottoming out, and they're, they're, they're wide awake. Uh, that impacts the ability of the body to reheal itself. The body's constantly, red blood cells are on a, uh, are on a life, life death cycle where we're always getting new red bloods. They're dying. Uh, the lack of, uh, uh, basically being awake during those periods of time impact a lot, a lot of cycles in the body. Um, and an interesting one, I'm glad you mentioned heart attack. Um, heart attack basically is really a, a, an, uh, an inflammatory problem. It's an immune problem. So within the blood vessels, 
we obviously have we have red blood cells, all types of blood cells flowing through the through the vessels. But but what causes the actual plaque inside is what's referred to as the lipid hypothesis. And then what that basically means is that as, as the plaque forms inside the blood vessels, the immune system basically uh, basically attack the uh, essentially attacking the inside of the blood vessel. So you end up with clogged plumbing. So being sleep deprived and not getting enough sleep basically can accelerate that process. And, and that's one at least aspect. The that process of getting more plaque. Getting or? more plaque. Exactly. Why is that? It, again, it, it's really tied to the, uh, the 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 circadian cycle of when our bodies uh, when our bodies healing itself, uh, and and then tied to the, uh, the 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 immune system. So so the immune system and obviously stress because I, because the the aspect and and so is sheer stress within the blood vessels. And, and, and so I mean, that's a really that's a relationship that I don't think is even controversial anymore. Stress no. and heart attacks, stress and illness. Right. Completely. Well, I mean, that's a well-established link. It's not because yes. I know that these days it feels like half of the scientific knowledge we grew up with has been disbanded or exactly. You know, I had a, you know, recently a podcast about intermittent fasting. I'd be curious to know what you think about that. Yes. Um, I found it to be pretty effective actually for me to like, is like, you know, weight control or, you know, not, to stop gaining weight. Yes. Uh, I can't say it's, it's, it, I sort of plateaued on it, but uh, you know, and I'd be curious to think what you know about that because like right now, for instance, like people say a high fat, high protein diet might actually be better for your blood health and for your heart health than a diet with high, high in carbohydrates, which 10 years ago, no one would have said. No one, exactly. exactly. Do, you, do you believe in that or not? Yeah. So, so, so diet is complex. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, um, each individual, there's a lot of individual variability to nutritional needs, but 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 I'm I'm more focused on sort of uh, at least where sort of the the evidence and, and probably what will work more for just a general good starting point for the average person is to really focus kind of I would say on balance and 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 regulating intake. You know, so often we skip meals or are we uh, try and make up late in the evening or we overeat right and so so it's really a more i think it's a function more of of uh of, of eating at the wrong times overeating you know because again our insulin glucose everything is driven on on on, on a circadian circadian well, in, scale. insulin regulation seems to be the big theme of my, of the diet trends recently exactly and intermittent fasting is like that keto is like that exactly and, and again it's the concept of, of the of the glycemic index so so what you're really trying to avoid is is taking in too much carbohydrate um, that's obviously converted to glucose that causes spikes and so so it's so it's really staying within you know within within a tolerance but but again one of the major drivers of of of, of a significant increase in and blood glucose is fasting. You know, it's, it's been in a fasted state and then consuming. So, so part of the benefit is that if, if you're going to be in a fasted state, you don't, you don't want to take in something that that's that, that has a lot of a lot of glucose. So kind of something in moderation is kind of a balance between. So if you're coming out of a fasted state, that's why you should have a ribeye steak and not like a bowl of pasta or it, yes or. Cheerios. Yes, or... to kind of buffer, right? You, you, you know, you want to increase your your blood glucose. You want to get nutrients, but at the same time, you don't want all of that to be rapidly converted to 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 uh 
to simple sugars uh, uh, that, that raises your blood glucose, it raises your insulin. And, and again, there's some evidence that that repeated insult also leads to insulin resistance and in, in, uh, in, in type 2 diabetes. And insulin resistance is basically if you overconsume sugar, sweet drinks, <clears throat> carbohydrates, at some point your body basically is – because which causes your body to produce insulin – at some point, you're overconsuming so much. It's almost like an alcoholic, right? At some point, a person can drink a bottle of vodka a day and not be drunk. Yes. It, insulin resistance is almost like, well, if you're going to eat this much sugar and crap, I'm not going to keep making insulin. Yes, yes. So, so, so your body's ability to to produce insulin uh, in response to the actual amount of amount of glucose, uh, well, the, the amount of glucose from that's broken down from from diet uh, is is that you get a blunted response, and so it, it becomes your your body your body uh, the, the pancreas become less sensitive to the amount of sugar coming into the body, and that can happen to skinny people. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So diet. Sure. So you're confirming that the intermittent. You're not immediately saying the the intermittent fasting trend is. Uh, you think it's kind of a positive trend. It could Ish. be, yes, yes. No, it could be, you know, and, and, or, and yeah. or more, or more. You're saying stay away from carbohydrates. Yeah, well, well, again, in, in, in again, excess. balance. You know, yeah. because because if you think about, uh, um, there's definitely a, a a tendency and opportunity to consume an imbalance of carbohydrates, and so really watching it is really the only way that you can buffer it. Because you think about, you know, um, you, you, you go to lunch and, you know, folks grab, you know, uh, you know, a, a 32 ounce Coke, right? And then they got, you know, they, they got, you know, salad, you know, with, with tons of uh, salad dressing, you know, right. Thousand Island Ranch, tons of sugar. And then they, they may have a bag of chips with their, with their, <laughs> with the sandwich. If you actually analyze that, that's all carbs. And so yeah. it's like 80% carbs. And, uh, and, and really, you should probably be in about 40% of your, you know, daily at the most carbs. And, and so we, what we tend to do is, is, and then maybe 40% lunch. sounds high for Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cur- yeah. Currently, I think people think they should have 0% carbs in Los Angeles. Well, you need some carbs. You need some, <laughs> you need some carbs. You know, again, it, it's a balance. And, and then, and then you're, uh, but, but again, it's balanced together. Cause what, what you'll find is that folks will have a high carb breakfast, high carb, um, you know, lunch and then a steak. Well, it it'd have been better to have you know that that steak you know over that or at least that that protein over the course of those three meals, um, uh, reducing the amount of calories or the percentage of calories from carbs. But but again, having the, the high protein at the end of the day really didn't do anything to help regulate insulin and blood sugar throughout the day. So what you're saying, unfortunately, <laughs> is that we just have to moderate. Which no one wants to hear. No one we wants all to hear. We all want the magic bullet. Tell me to do one thing that will change my entire life. Um, so in the sleep, I used the term sleep hygiene before, which I like that terminology. And I've heard a good terminology. I can't remember who said this, but think of rest as repair. Right. So for macho type A types, don't even call it sleep. Just call it, I got to go, go repair. Exactly, because that's exactly. what you're. It's really why you have to sleep. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a, a. It's not that you. Oh, if the guy, you know, the guy down the hallway at your work only gets four hours of sleep, you got to get three. Because I mean, you hear like Tim Cook absurdly gets up at he gets up at two forty five or something like that. Yes. <laughs> Which I just I, I, bring, I brought it up too many times in the podcast now. Or Mark Wahlberg. Yes. He gets up at two thirty. Now he, in his fairness, he goes to bed at seven p.m. Yes. 
you would think that if you could, that is a testament. That's its own conversation. But, um, but I mean, it it seems like getting up early like that probably isn't good for you, based upon your circadian rhythms. Though, well, right? well, so it's not it's not as bad as you would think. Really, it it would be really bad if he was going to bed or if someone went to bed at ten o'clock and he woke up at two thirty, four and a half hours of sleep probably not ideal. Um, but but again. Uh, if, if they're early risers, um, I mean, in, well, early down and, and early riser. But if you look, you know, seven to two to 2.30, that, that's seven and a half hours. And, and, and he probably has a nap or at least something, you know, exercise, maybe meditation. He's doing something. He's a huge amount of exercise. Yeah. This is Mark Wahlberg. I yeah. don't know about. Yeah, yeah yes, yes. But, but, but they, but, but then, you know, that, that gives them that boost, you know, after lunch, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. I don't know what his exercise schedule is. So exercise. Is. You know, because Donald Trump, for, for instance, thinks that exercise takes away energy. I I have not found that to be the case. I find that if I the days where I go running, so much more energy throughout the day, so feel mood regulation so much better. Do you believe that exercise increases energy? Oh uh, yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent. And and again, it goes back to the hormones that that is actually released, the 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 the, the, the hormonal response that's based on the endorphins that you actually get. Um, from from exercise. Also, one of the things that's not um, so so it's really all about energy management. So so there 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 are things that act that's constantly taking away energy, and then there's things we can actually do to actually uh, gain energy. And 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 the types of activities that are relaxing. And and that's why I talked earlier about exercise. So. So what I would call binge exercising is energy consuming. <laughs> right. You know, we, we, but, if I'm but, running a half marathon every morning, that's not going to lead for me being having more energy throughout the day. Right, right. Well, it's going to be consuming also a lot of your time, and, and the body's going to recover from that. But if you ran a half marathon, you know, every day for, for you know, and, you, and your body got used to it, even that will be less energy consuming. Uh, you know, you, you, it would have some 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 positive benefit. But what I mean by binge exercising is that, you know, you start exercising. And you say, oh, this is this is too hard. I don't have time for it. Stop for six months. Start again. Uh, and, and and at that point, it's really consuming because the, the the you're not really getting the actual full benefit. You know, because it's it's hard. Right. It's hard. Mentally, it's hard. Physically, it's hard. And the next two days after you do it, a heart because you're sore. Right. <laughs> and, and, and but but again, if you get if you get into a routine where you're doing um, as, as little as twenty minutes, thirty minutes of exercise, you know, three or four times a week, that's plenty. You know, e- even even a walk, continuous activity. If you you know for lunch or maybe two a.m., you say I'm gonna just get off. You know, get away from my desk. I'll go walk around the building. You right. know, uh, walk, walking around outside is better, especially if you have sunlight, because we also get a huge amount of benefit from from actually being out in the sunlight. We know about the vitamin D impact, but right. but but it out that's a huge impact on sunlight in the mind, and we know that from studies where you look at individuals that live in, in climates where you have like Alaska and, and northern, northern Europe. Uh, there's a huge amount of depression, Seattle. You know where you have a lot of cloud cover. We know there's a huge impact of of the actual um, of, of of lack of sunlight on our on our mental well being. So you think about just in even small doses having sunlight. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it was just cloud cover, rain. You know, kind of like you know, like like England type weather. At the moment, you get some breakthrough, 
and sunlight. I, I lived in in uh, in, in uh, Stuttgart, Germany, and, and it's like just you know hazy. And Chicago was like that from yeah. like November till March. Yeah, just a gray pall over the sky. Yeah, and then as soon as you get that breakthrough, you know everybody's in a better mood. Yeah. People are smiling. You know, it's because because we evolved with you know, with with the sun. And, and, and it's so tempting, again, to just sit down inside and, and hammer out work, you know, especially in the wintertime in, in, many, uh, in, in, many, in many parts of the country. You know, you go into work, it's dark, and, and you leave home, it's dark. I mean, and you go on your way home, it's dark. Don't get me started on daylight savings. Yeah, 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 that's right. I heard, I heard you guys are <laughs> having a big vote on that here in California. But, but so, 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 again, that's another huge benefit, five, ten minutes of sunlight if you can get it. And we know that so that's a big tip. So you're yeah. thinking if you if you could put it in a simple routine could be when you go go outside, eat your lunch outside. Uh, you know, L.A. It's so easy. It's sunny here every single day. But even if it's like it seems like a cloudy, cold day, getting out, walking around a city block, walking around your corporate complex, wherever you're at, you think that's a, that's going to help you out a lot. It's going to help you out a lot. Just getting some sun. And and like I said, we we know about the vitamin D aspect, but. The, the the effect of sunlight on our on our mental health is huge. Yeah, and our and our emotional regulation is huge. Well, let me ask you this. So we talked a little bit this, about this on the phone, but one of the big sleep disorders I've had, and it runs in my family. My, me and my sister both have had night terrors. Yes, and it, she had it when we were kids. You know, literally <laughs> pleasant. You know, and she'll, she probably doesn't want me to tell this story, but she would. Literally, we'd all wake up in the middle of the night to my sister screaming as if being murdered. Yes, yes, yes. And everyone would run in the room, and you'd be like, she'd be screaming at the top of her lungs, and you'd, you'd walk into the room, and and she'd be like, "What? What's going on?" Yes, yes. And it was terrifying growing up, and then I think she outgrew it, and then unfortunately for me, uh, and uh, my, my girlfriend of the past, <laughs> I just dating at the time, after nine eleven. I started having night terrors. Yes, and it and for me it man, and I don't know if you've seen this in your research. Like PTSD. Now I have you know nine eleven. I wasn't anywhere near any of that. It was like you know stressful event. I think everyone was going through a, you know f- this sense of like heightened stress. Mm-hmm. And I anxiety runs in my family. Yeah. But I, for a solid year after nine eleven, I was having this thing where I'd wake up, I'd see a bluish, in you know upon immediately waking up, I'd see a snake or a person standing in the corner of the room, or like I'd see like a spider, a giant spider crawling on the ceiling. Yes. And literally I would be, I, sometimes I would jump to my feet or I would scream at the top of my lungs. And it seemed to happen in that first 45 minutes of sleep. So it was like, you're not deep asleep. Yes. You're kind of going to sleep, going to sleep, and then pop right up and be screaming at the top of my lungs. And it happened again. I, I think I told you I was, I had used uh, ADD as you are. As yes. Well, you said, and I never had a good luck with stimulants, but a couple of years ago, I was like, let me see if I can get, try Adderall again, see if it worked. First day of Adderall, that night I went to bed and I woke up with a lamp in my hand and I was trying to get out the window. Yes, yes. And that that was that was when I was like, you know, and both times I went to sleep studies afterwards, and then we talked about this sleep study: don't drink alcohol or caffeine or eat or exercise for twenty four hours before the study. And it was like, well, what? That's not my real life. Yes, no, exactly. But what what do you know about sleep terrors? And I'm sure PTSD soldiers, I imagine they have this kind of thing as well. Yes, yes. So, so the first thing is fear, right? So I think you touched on on night terrors, right? So one of the things that is really not well described is uh, night terrors, nightmares. You know exactly what they mean. 
But what we do know is that um, fear and anxiety, right? So you can either be you can either be consciously aware you're afraid of something. Yep, there's a snake. There's an alligator. There's something you know something something I'm I'm truly afraid of that can then uh, lead into the emotion of anxiety, right? And and we can either be aware of it uh, or, or it can be unconscious. And I think in your case, you know, with with sort of the nine eleven, that, that that was some unconscious fear. You know, linked to some anxiety, some uncertainty. For me, it was I had to fly. A, I was flying, you know, twice a week sometimes yeah, for my yeah. for my job, and the thought of getting on a plane was stressful. Just you know, yeah. I, I was working in New York City and in Bo- and Ch- oh, not Boston, in Chicago at the same time. So it's just like you know, it just felt like everywhere seemed you know, it seemed like everywhere you go is likely to be a terrorist attack. Yeah. Ten years later, we know better that that was like a real anomaly, but. Yes. No. And, and you, you bring up a good point. Is that um, what's very difficult to describe is 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 that you know you, you had a you had a a real threat, right? We we that, that was some threat of you know planes going down, you know um, tennis shoe bombers. So people doing bad things, and 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 you were forced to be in an environment that um, put made you more vulnerable, made you more susceptible. So there was some fear. And so then that fear manifests, you know, as uh, in, in, in sleep, because typically we're distracted throughout the day. We're not thinking, well, you're maybe thinking about it when you're on the, on the plane, when you're exposed specifically to it. But you, you get to your, your destination, so you're this working. anxiety is running in the background is what you're saying. The anxiety it, is running in the background. It's, it's, it's coming out in your sleep. It's coming out in your sleep. And, and, it, and, that's, the, and that's, the, that's the lizard, right? The, the lizard is running, is running on on uh, on the uh, on the treadmill, thinking, oh, but 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 again, you're not you're not really aware of it because you, you're doing high level tasks, you know, you you're, you're you're going about your day, but now, you know, the brain is is going through its you know its cleansing, its restoring period, and now the lizard, you know, and it's interesting you mentioned, you yeah, know, in your book you say the lizard versus the wizard. Yes, yeah. yes, and and so and then. I'm not surprised that 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 these night terrors they they would manifest in, in the form of animals, right? You know, and so you mentioned snake, you know, uh, a, a spider, huge spider, you know, again because during that period of time, I mean, that's that's I mean, that's literally hardwired biological. I mean, the things that we are scared of from ten thousand years ago, bears, snakes, spiders. I mean, those are the three big ones, right? Those in our DNA, and then, right? And then, and then the other one would be like sometimes it would be a man standing in the corner of the room, yeah. Right? So it's 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 really interesting to think about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, during those periods of time, you know, the 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 the, the uh, reptilian brain is active, and so whatever, and, and and again, we've we've had this underlining fear, and so whatever the types of things we may have been afraid of, you know, as a kid or wired in our DNA, is an opportunity for it to manifest. And, and and so so I'm not surprised. And then, you know, so so again, you were in that what we refer to as kind of short cycle of emotion. You know, the brain senses stimulus. I gotta fly. And then yeah. there there there's some there's some emotional fear. But then over time, what you find, and it's the same thing with any type of you know post trauma, you know, post traumatic stress or car accident or whatever. Over time, your brain basically says, okay, yep, I've done this several times. Nothing has happened. Yep. And then you get farther and farther away from that, that fear and anxiety. But for some individuals, it requires medication, you know, they, they, cause they can easily get into a, uh, a cycle where they say, I'm never flying again. Um, 
you know, I'm not crossing a bridge again. I'm not doing anything that would potentially put me into that position. Well, obviously, that's incredibly, incredibly disruptive on, right. on, on, on our There's date. There's a lot of people that won't fly. Right. I mean, I never, I've never not flown. Yes. But I did have to take propononol. Do you know yeah. that drug? Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Which is basically a beta blocker. It's a beta blocker, yeah. You, you used to treat high blood pressure. And yeah. but so is correct me if I'm wrong, but the science behind that is that uh, fear response kicks up your adrenaline exactly, which then creates more fear. It's sort of a, a cycle of um, yeah adrenaline yeah, and that the beta blocker is basically when you so let's say I, I remember the first time I took a beta blocker, I got an airplane, just kind of felt numb. I mean, it kind of felt like the way you feel after like a Bloody Mary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so part of it is that you you've blocked. Uh, the receptor. So, so, so you have adrenaline, you know, that's being released. Just, uh, you're blocking the receptors, the, the beta receptors and some of the alpha receptors as well mm-hmm. in the body. So, so it's like, hmm, yeah, whatever. And so, so, so what happens is that, you know, so you still have, you may still have had a stimulus of fear. And that sounds like a lot of your fear is more in the background. So, so you wasn't aware of it anyway, but it was the physiological response. Right. Pounding heart rate, sweating, dilated pupils. I'm in danger that that, that really uh, made you consciously aware of it. You know, even though you may not even been aware that you were consciously aware of it, but, but that was, and so by blocking that, you're like, it, there's the fear is, is there, there but a you downside? Because proponanol is not an antidepressant or a, it's not a, um, you know, some people take Xanax for flights, yes. which is more habit can be habit forming, and, form, ha- yeah. and, and coming off of of uh, that's a benzoid or benz- yeah. it, right benzos are we're finding out now are a really more habit forming. And so, so the so the only risk realistically of having a, a beta blocker if you had really low blood pressure, you know, that's some risk of like dizziness and passing out. I do. But, I I actually have low blood pressure, so yeah. that was the the doctor almost didn't prescribe it to me yeah. at the time. So, so that's the only, only real only risk. If you have high blood pressure, is, is that why? If I'm some, one of those people that if I get up too fast, I can almost pass out. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Same way, and it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, the body is just a column of, of hydrostatic column, a column of fluid, and for some individuals, um, uh, standing uh, too quickly can uh, their their body first first the you know you have a the uh, the parasympathetic system you know responds increases heart rate provides enough blood to the brain. You stand up, but but often there's a lag sometime in that system, and 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 I think you described you have low blood pressure, so your your heart has to increase and, and contract harder to to so, to actually support um, um, blood to the brain because of the lower lower heart rate. I mean, sorry, lower, lower blood pressures. It's all about getting you know um, blood to the brain, b- blood to the brain. So that's literally all that's happening. Is you're just not getting enough blood to the it's brain. Not blood to the brain fast enough. Feel a little dizzy and then. The body, the body. I haven't passed out, but I felt. I definitely felt like that feeling of like, whoa, that was close to like a pass out. Yeah, and, and chronic dehydration obviously can do that. Do that as well. So, if you, if you haven't had enough, no, no so fluids. So beta blockers for people that don't are afraid of flying. You you would say don't have a lot of downsides. Not not a lot of downsides. I mean, and, you know, and it's it's the kind of thing that for me at least, I took I did a few flights. Yeah, and then I just, and I, just I just stopped taking them. I did. It really did cure that fear of flying. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's typically what happens. You know, is but but definitely compared to you know other uh, other drugs, hundred uh, percent, we we studied beta blockers as you know for for uh, it's one of probably it's, it's one of actually one of the first drugs to treat high blood pressure, and but it's very very effective actually in uh, in in treating uh, PTSD anxiety 
And because I've, I've read that PIA, beta blockers were becoming a proponent of specifically it was becoming very popular as a way to treat PTSD, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. It's, de- it's definitely, you know, individuals with kind of a mild, you know, um, some individuals will have like, you know, chronic, you know, like like PTSD, meaning it's completely disruptive. They can't really function, right? And some individuals will have, you know, episodal, you know, um, and, and so definitely individuals that where there's some anxiety linked to um uh, to uh, to the impact of post traumatic stress on, on their lives, definitely if you can blunt that anxiety, then it's going to definitely help with the overall disruptance. Because you, you told me, for instance, that your first podcast you ever did, yes, right, yes, <laughs> so I can tell the story, right, yes, yes, I yes, because we I actually didn't we didn't even finish it because we started recording. Your first podcast, there was a missile attack. Yes, yes, yes. So, Can you tell that story? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm curious yeah. to know, like, did you suffer PTSD, you know, after, yeah. post, after that? Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, as I was describing, I was working on exercise medicine, and we were specifically working on, you know, how do we get exercise out to, to you know, to uh, all populations and improve health equity? And so I was scheduling this podcast, it's like in 2010, and, uh, and so, uh, uh, it kept getting delayed, and it was holiday season, and I deployed to Afghanistan. And so by the time we got around to scheduling it, I was literally in Kandahar, Afghanistan, and, and I said, Let, let's do it. So so we actually did the podcast from Afghanistan. And uh, in the middle of the podcast, we had we had a rocket attack. And so uh, so I remember, like, the, the little building I was in kind of shook. Oh, so and- it's not like... They're in the vicinity, like the rockets are coming down upon the area. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it was close enough that it shook the are building. Are these like RPGs or you don't even know? Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, it's like it kind of shook the building. And I, and, and I think the, uh, the the host actually heard, she's like, oh, what's going on? I said, oh, let's just continue. So we, we just continued. And I think we were about 15 minutes into like this hour, hour podcast. But yeah, but but back to your point, I'll, I'll share the story you, you, with so you. So you fought. So I know that if there's a rocket attack right now, you'll finish the podcast. I fin- I'll finish the podcast. If there's, uh, you know, if we have uh, drive-by shooting, we'll, we'll still. Oh my god, <laughs> we'll finish it, and we may we may duck under the table, but but we'll finish it. So yeah, so uh, I will tell you, you know, um, I remember after deploying um, from Afghanistan, I uh, had an opportunity. I, I was uh, visiting my visiting my family in Texas. And uh, and my dad was like, just go upstairs and take a nap. And so I uh, I went upstairs and I remember like um, waking up. My dad apparently it was dinner time. I, I, I again, you know, a forty five minute nap turned into like three or four hours. And my dad said we probably should wake him up to have dinner. And I remember my dad uh, touching me. And I and, and and I still remember it today. He and I stood up like every hair on my body. And and so I definitely came back with. Anxiety, hypervigilance, and uh, and and probably some fear of the dark, <laughs> you wow. know. And, and so, so, and uh, and as many uh, many folks have been deployed, will describe almost like 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 matrix type re- abilities, right? Because you you you're 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 in tune to danger, okay? That often involves sound, right? You know, mm-hmm. something's blowing up, and you immediately know the drill is to get as low as possible because if something is going to explode or shoot at you or hit you, being on the ground is <laughs> is the safest place. So, um, so, so you, you come back with uh, what I would what, what I would refer to as kind of hyper vigilance and hyper re- reactivity, and so um, that that actually continues. Which it's got to be terrible for a spouse or a uh, yeah. girlfriend or a, you know boyfriend, you know whatever. You know, it's like yeah. uh, 
I went through that with, you know, a girl I was dating at the time. She was like, this has to stop. Yes. Yeah. It's and, freaking and, me out. And so interesting. That's how I met my wife, actually. So my, my, um, my wife. She tried was, to wake you up one day. No, no, no. We were not. No, no. We, we, we uh, I, I came back from Afghanistan. And I your went, wife, who's co-author of your book. Co-author of my book. So at the time, I didn't know her from Adam. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, uh, so I went back to my old lab, um, my PhD advisor, who I trained in physiology. She was working with him on a project. And, uh, and so, uh, she, she'll, she'll describe until t- uh, today that I was pacing, <laughs> pacing the floor, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, just, and, and obviously a combination of you having. You weren't even aware of it. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of it. And obviously, you know, co- having some degree of, uh, of, of, you know, childhood and, and adult ADD and now hypervigilance, you know, that can really be disruptive. So, so, so she's like, this guy, you know, it's, it's nuts, you know. And so, uh, I, she didn't say that, but I'm sure she was thinking it. And, <laughs> and so, um, about 18 months later, um, I remember I was talking with her, um, cause, uh, she was in transition of finishing up, finishing up a few projects and, 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 uh, going on to other, other positions in Dallas. And, uh, and she, and she actually introduced me to a, um, a program called Project Welcome Home Troops. It was a non-for-profit that really, uh, was uh, focused on using uh, breath-based meditation uh, to... Uh, I saw a YouTube that you did on this. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the ways that I actually helped, that I, I think greatly helped me uh, reduce my own anxiety and post-traumatic stress. Obviously, over time, you know, much like, you know, in your case, the anxiety will will subside. But, but there appears, obviously, as you described, even with, with beta blocker, where you need some intervention that does going to help accelerate, get you, you know, back back to baseline, you know, quicker. Because otherwise, you can easily get into a you know a spiral down, which yeah. which unfortunately happens so often in vets. You know, we you know with twenty two vets committing suicide a day. Part of it is that it's that know, high, wow. is that high. You know, where where you, where you get into this spiral down, and so uh, so um, so I was like I said, I was fortunate, and and uh, so I attended actually a. A um a breath based meditation like a two or three day. It's got to be hard, right? Military guys, it, type it's, it's a hard. tough macho. Get them to go to a meditation it, seminar. It, and and it's now be hard. a type A military guy who's a science scientist is very skeptic. <laughs> so 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 the the, the 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 trio. I'm sure if 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 uh. It, so you looked at you thought of that stuff as woo, as woo woo as I probably did. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. And I I think if I think uh. You know, you know, you know. Fortunately, my, my wife was 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 you know is is, is very very cute and attractive. <laughs> I, I, I follow her there, but otherwise, I'm not sure I would have <laughs> because I because I actually I was uh, I was in the process of moving from from the U S to Germany. Oh wow! And, and so I had a, I was com- completely busy. I needed like 28 hours a day to make that transition. So you followed a pretty girl into a meditation uh, situation. I mean, how, how this first introduction was it a hour long how I mean how long was this thing that you you went to yeah yeah so it was uh it was uh about six hours a day mm. um for for um for two days and it's uh you know it, you this know is all military or is it just a, a, this, a program for anybody? yeah yeah so, so this particular program is all military so it's uh so um you've seen homecoming the amazon series yes yes so, so you know, it's reminding reminding me of that, but uh, yeah, yes. So so I did the actual kind of the civilian version of it, um, but but the military version of it is actually two hours a day, and so it's uh, two hours a day for three or four days, 
Um, and it really starts off really uh, focused just uh, on, you know, it's kind of a few introductions and just kind of getting folks kind of comfortable to what's going on. And then kind of like more of a guided relaxation. And, mm. what, and what, what you find, and what I found, is that a lot of uh, individuals, even closing their eyes, you know, around strangers, you know, can, can be a challenge for, for that, That's how much they're, they're in that hypervigilance. The hypervigilance, you know, anxiety. And so, uh, so some individuals, you know, are not quite comfortable with that. And then uh, you gradually get into, as I described before, like kind of alternate nostril. And then individuals that, that are not comfortable closing their eyes. And then, then you, you gradually get into sort of more, um, what I would say, not complex, but more, uh, deeper breathing. Cause one of the, one of the things that is well described is the relationship of how we breathe to our emotions. So when we're, mm. when we're stressed, you know, we breathe different than obviously when we're happy, a lot of laughter, deep breathing. And so, um, it's funny, like in the, in the 1900s, probably not funny, but 1900s in England, that it was a at the time psychiatry really wasn't a thing. It was called brain pathologist, mm. <laughs> and so and so most most brain pathologists worked in prisons, and so um, that was one of the first, at least you know, documented times where where there was a true description of emotions tied to breathing, and so this this uh, this doc did an experiment where he looked at okay. Okay, if I can get maybe some of these prisoners that are um, have this kind of this anger breathing <laughs> to breathe more like the guys that either really are kind of neutral, really don't care, or the ones that are, I mean, they, they probably have other disorders, but they, they appear to be a real, little bit happy with life. If I can get them to breathe in a similar pattern, then maybe they have an influence. And he found exactly that when he wow, actually... Wow, so it was just like... Yeah, I mean, it's very I mean, super pragmatic. Super pragmatic. Like, if I can get an angry guy to breathe like a happy guy, a happy guy, then he may not be as happy as the happy guy, but he's not <laughs> as angry as the as the guy who was breathing like the angry guy. And and, and so and that's part of the basis is that was that we know that every breath um, has a corresponding emotion, and that if we can get individuals to get away from breathing, you know, like 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 in more of an, what I would say negative breathing, like you know. Uh, you know, really shallow breathing, and that's what you find individuals that are anxious. And in fact, when I experience hypervigilance, or anxious, or you know, tight schedules, first thing happens is your your breathing goes to breathing very shallow. I stop breathing. I mean, I, 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 I stop breathing. I have exactly. editors I work with that'll be like, "Do you know you're holding your like?" They'll be like, "I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing." It's kind of like you're talking about your pacing. Yeah, they'll be like, "Breathe, man!" Like. I'm like, what? They're like, you, you seem to be holding your breath. Exactly. And I'll be, I'll, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll hold my breath for like 40 seconds or something. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's really not weird. good. And, no. and, and that's, you know, again, uh, you know, if you're in a creative reality, you know, you do, it, it, again, that, that is, that's not actually, that's not good for a high order thinking. But nevertheless, you know, people call it mindfulness, meditation, but it's really a more of awareness. So it, it's, it's a combination of, okay, being more aware of, of how you're breathing, um, being able because if if if, if you can uh, prevent yourself or become at least aware, you know, say five seconds into the breath hole versus you no know, forty right, seconds, right. or having someone say, hey, you know, you're not breathing. Oh yeah, I'm not breathing. That, that's gonna be beneficial. So that's part of the process is starting off with some simple techniques to get into a little bit more complex techniques to really uh, re reprogram the body because one of the first things. And I think that the reason why this is a problem, breathing is a problem, you know, as you described, 
anxiety. I, I described, you know, you know, similar types, ADHD, uh, post-traumatic stress. Um, that's one of the first things that, 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 that changes the actual breathing. And then you get some type of emotion. So, so again, this whole workshop was really less about, you know, um, less about woo woo and more really about, I was like, yeah, this is physiologic, you know, cause I know that heart rate, blood pressure, things that I know are tied to breathing, you know, um, cause one of the things that interesting enough talk about controls, one of the things that, um, that, that, I, whether you have an MRI or you, you know, that they'll actually just have you do a breath hole, blow all your air out, or, 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 or if we're trying to control the influence of respiration in a physiological study, we have individuals breathe to a metronome. And, and so that was something I can relate Interesting. to, you know, because what we're trying to do is uh, is look at whatever physiological intervention and, and this thing called heart rate variability, which, you know, Fitbits and all types of you know wearable devices are able to track now. But but that allows you to basically eliminate the respiratory influence on heart rate. So I was like, yep, I got it. Breathing heart rate, I can do this. And so, and so over the course of those, those days, what you begin to recognize is you become more aware of your breath. You become more aware of, uh, of, uh, when you're not breathing. And then you begin to all of a sudden see, start feeling you know, a little bit less anxious and happy. Because what has happened is someone has literally tricked you into, you know, not being anxious into more of a, well, it's a happy a, it's state. It's the total, it's the classic fake it until you make it. Fake it until you make it. And, and then, and so what you're doing is you're being, you're, you're, you're really learning how to breathe again. You know, is I, I refer to it as breathing rehab, right? You know, it's a, you know, it's a, which is not something you would typically think about. Unfortunately, a lot of times I think meditation is, is sold, is sold and mindfulness is sold in a way where it seems too woo woo. It doesn't or, seem scientific. It enough. doesn't seem scientific. And so, um, so, so I have actually, been involved and in fact published several is i'm a scientist that i'm the type of scientist when i become interested in solving a problem if it's it does a physiological basis i'm going to try and design a study in fact we published a study last year specifically looking at this particular relationship of breathing because i said okay yep i've done it I, I i feel it's right but but i want to actually try and do a study but i don't want to do a study in a laboratory so we actually did we we did we did a uh, a non laboratory study wearing using wearable devices because I said I want to make it realistic so when people actually read it they can say yeah got it you know that the, the right. study was not done in a laboratory it was done in, in a relatively uncontrolled environment but we were actually able to show using wearable you can go to Amazon and buy it you know wearable headset that uh, EEG with a Fitbit. My uh, sister got me one yeah. of those for Christmas. And yeah. It's amazing. It, it's you can, amazing. You can you can literally, I don't know if it's the same thing you have. It's like an app. Exactly. And it makes like an ocean noises. Exactly. And, it, and when you calm and regulate, I don't know if it's the same thing we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It literally like like the, the ocean goes. You're you're meditating. And, and but then yeah. if you yeah. could tell like once you get distracted, all of a sudden you hear it go ah, and the waves start crashing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like. It was like a little eerie. I, like uh, I need to find this thing. I, I stopped using. It. It's a little tricky because you have to like constantly like the contacts get a little sticky. You know, it's like yeah, it's yeah. a little clunky to do on a daily basis. But yes. oh my god, that technology is great. <laughs> now, and, 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 and interesting enough, uh, there there's a uh, there's a group that actually does what's called. Uh, um, and, and again, I, I'm all about finding therapies. And again, 
that's going to help calm the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think there's multiple ways to actually do that. And and again, that is one. That there's another one that's referred to as uh, as um, photo reading. So so it's the concept of basically being able to take your mind, eliminate the distractions when you're reading. Because when, if we're reading and we're distracted, we process 25% of information. Right. But if we're not distracted, but it's very hard to say, okay, mind, shut up. <laughs> right. I'm reading. You know, because the mind is, is, you know, the monkey mind. The mind is all over the place, right? So, so this concept of photo reading is exactly what you just described, where you take, you know, you, you take an app, you take something where you're able to laser focus the mind. And now you introduce the book and now you're getting 90 to 100 percent. You're even getting more than 100 percent. So you, know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you use this, this kind of methodology. This, cause what this thing is, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like a sensors that go on your temples and in your forehead. Yes. That can read brain activity. It can read brain activity. And I don't know if it, may, it was clear to the listeners, but so what it would play in your ears is like an audio of calm seas. Exactly. Calm ocean. And if you started to get distracted, it would make seagull noises. Exactly. And, and the water get choppier. Exactly. So you're saying you train yourself with this device. Yes. And then start reading something that you need to read and your retention goes way up. Way up. Way, way wow. up. Wow. Way up. Way up. And, 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 and one of the good things about that is, is that if you're sleep deprived, and this is where you can get some of it back, okay, you, you've had you've had you know a lot of work due, proposals, deadlines, you know, it's impossible. I it's fundamentally I, I can't get enough sleep. Right. Okay. So um, now you take something like this um, in the middle of the day, all of a sudden now for 15, 20 minutes, you know, uh, maybe maybe five or ten minutes, you know, and just you know, now get the mind back focused, relaxed. You're going to get a lot more done over that next hour than you would have if you had the monkey mind because your retention goes, your, your, your retention goes up, your ability to laser focus and creatively think about, uh, you say, Oh, wow. You know, so, so how often, you know, do we get into a situation where we like, it could be thinking of someone's name or what was, what was I thinking right. about? And, and as soon as you relax, what happens? Well, I this it, is it, a huge thing. That if, you give, if you can use your scientific uh, prowess for this, I have a fear of remembering names. Yes. That is so bad now that I until I have like an adrenaline response. Yes. And I could like I could be in a room with my sister and my girlfriend, and I'll forget their names. Like I mean, it, I, it's like a fear I have so much. I'll be like, I can feel like if I'm going down a chain of people like. This is Tim, and this is Linda, and that's Dave. And then I'm like coming up to my sister. I'm like, and this is, <laughs> it's like, I mean, I know my sister's name, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. But I get such a terror from it. I have a real, like, memorization is one of those things that, like, and because as an actor, too. Yes. In an audition setting, I can go completely blank on something I know I know. Yes. That, but, I'll but, tell but you But on simple. set, I relax because I think I know that, like, listen, if you, like, in, on set, I go, all right, well, I get. I just know I have to be relaxed. Yes. And at some level, it's like, well, Jeff, you're either gonna like never work again, or, or you just be okay. You know. And yes. there's something about getting the job and feeling like you're supposed to be there, but I don't know. Yes. So I guess something that's gonna work for you. All right. Okay. So um, this is again one of the. This is a reptilian yeah. technique, but uh, and this is really goes back to childhood, and it's funny. I've uh, I use this, you know, because I'll get anxious sometimes. Like you know, if I got to do something. That I'm a little bit uncomfortable about, you know, it could be 
going to give bad news to a group. Right. You just don't want to do it. You know, voice becomes, you know, you know, like voice change, a lot, a lot of other things. Right. So, um, and then you, you, you forget exactly what you wanted to say. So, so, um, think about when you're a kid, at least I, I can think about this. My parents say, okay, Robert, you can't, you can't do it. So, so, you, so you kind of, you know, kind of, you know, take your arms and push them to the ground and go, <clears throat> and, and you storm off, right? You see kids doing this, <laughs> right, right. right? So that is an actual stress relief. You know, it, it, it actually relieve, relieves tension because, because when kids go, <clears throat> yeah, right. And so the, one of the techniques to ba- like if to help you relax. And I, I, I literally go into the restroom, like if I got to go into a meeting, it's going to be heated. Um, and then I'm giving away my superpower uh, techniques. But, <laughs> but you go in and, and you just literally get in the stall or if you're going to be in a situation where a little bit of anxiety, you can literally um, just go like several times like a kid. <clears throat> and, really? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 which, and you want to really get into it. And and what you'll find is that you'll you'll laugh at yourself, you know, <laughs> and 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 uh, and and because uh, really it's it's taking something, and again that is well well conserved, right? You know uh, that uh, even you'll heal dogs, you know, like like yeah. Like, my, like, I was, I, as you're saying this, I think about my my dog Sawyer, who like I'll if I like get up to go outside and then I don't go outside, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so 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 it's well conserved. Yeah. It's, he was looking forward to going outside, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, relieve his anxiety, right? I mean, he he loves the sun oh just like well, the next I mean, guy. Right? Exercise with animals. <laughs> he, my dog had like literally had high anxiety, like yes. uh, separation anxiety. They call it. Yes. And the only way to get through it was I would take him on like an hour jog in the morning, yes. and then throw tennis balls for an hour in the evening. And I was yes. like, oh my god, how much exercise does this animal need? Yeah, yeah. So, that's so that's a simple way that's to relieve. Re- and that's reptile brain. That's reptile. Stuff. Yeah, that that is you know it's reptile. Obviously, dogs a mammal, but but that that is that 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 is his basic um, um, reptilian, maybe some mammalian, but 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 it's definitely. A technique. Obviously, we don't see the lizard going, mm, you know, when you. <laughs> but we definitely. I mean, you just describe how you can at least witness that in another mammal. Gotcha. So there are a few areas of sleep I, I find fascinating. I remember hearing once that uh, when you sleep in a hotel room, like going back to your situation with your father, where you yeah. you grab your father. Did that get violent, or did that? No, 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 uh, no. But but I told him please under that kid. But it, it didn't get but violent. It's, like, it's a classic movie scene, it's, it's, right? Exactly. It's, it's the it's the vet with the gun under the pillow. And, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But I've read at one point that when you um, stay in a hotel room, yes, I actually find I sleep better in hotel rooms. There's something about hotel rooms I find more secure. Yes, but the, they say that the brain, even if you don't know this, that you uh, that hypervigilance kicks in, and that so that's why like when you travel and you feel a, a level of exhaustion, like sleeping in new spaces to the brain, to the lizard brain, your brain is not going in as deep as sleep. No, no, that is true because you know it's it's all, all back to security. There's a constant, you know, arm wrestling between uh, the three portions of our brain. You know, the, the the exploratory. You know, the you know the like the dog. You know, you know sniffing. You know yeah. something that's new. That that's that's the portion of the human that's exploratory. And then you know what is that? You know, um, I've seen something like that before. The, the reptile in the hotel is like. This is not home. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm not very comfortable here. You know, uh, and and so uh, and so, um, 
Yeah, so so it's it's and then over the course of the days, you know, so a lot of the sleep, you know, yeah, you don't get you don't get as deep sleep because you know, and especially if you've experienced some type of trauma, uh, trauma, right? You know, it could have been, um, you know, wide range, but any any trauma related to being in an unsafe um, environment, you know, where you felt didn't feel protected, you know, it could have been home invasion to wide variety of childhood things. Um, those new environments, you're not going to sleep as well. Well, my parents were fond of never locking the doors. Yes. And my mom thought it was weird that I started, I, I took the, I changed the doorknob so I could have a lock on my door. Yes. Part of it was like teenage, like I want my, you know, Ferris Bueller. I want like my room to have a lock on it. Yes. But a big part of it was I wanted to have, I felt, because my parents were so inconsistent on locking the doors Mm -hmm. and your kid watching scary movies, stuff like that. And we had a home that had like. You know, there's like eight doors, you know, like you'd have to, I'd walk around the, mor- you know, at night before going to bed, I'd look at that door's not unlocked and this door's not unlocked. We just grew up in a rural part of New Jersey where it felt yeah, you safe. Didn't, you didn't either. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, to this day, like I can't go to sleep without a locked door. Yeah, and, yeah, And I would prefer yeah. to, even in my own home, if I, if I didn't seem crazy to my girlfriend, I'd probably like to have a lock on the bedroom door. <laughs> yeah, same, same And here. it's so, and yeah. it's like, uh. Clearly, if someone really wants to get at you, but it, it makes, I think that's why in hotel rooms, I feel very secure. Right, right. That, you can deadbolt it, and then you can have like that swing lock. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I kind of And there's somebody I at the front secure. door, right, yeah. watching everybody. I feel more secure in a hotel than I do in my place in Silver Lake. Yeah, know? yeah, 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 no, for sure. Uh, so for me, I don't feel that, but I've, I've read that before. And then the one thing that has always fascinated me is this idea, I think the medical profession is in desperate need of a complete reboot. I don't know if you ever read the book, The uh, Checklist Manifesto. Yes, 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 yes. It touches upon this a little bit about, so basically the medical community was having all these problems, lots of accidental deaths. And it was basically through the simple Im- implementation of step-by-step checklists for procedures. E- exactly. Drastic reductions in, um, I did a podcast about task lists that we talked about this. But also doctors and the culture of internships the, these all of them are running on zero sleep. Zero sleep, and, exactly. And, and it seems to be causing a lot of uh, problems in in hospitals. Why is that part of? I don't know if you know much about this, but you're a doctor. Yeah. Why is that such a part of the culture of of? I read it was like this doctor that was on cocaine back in the 1800s. Have you heard of this, <laughs> Doctor Walter? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, yes, yes. I wrote him down. I'm like, I'll look him up. But yes. there's this doctor that was famously very influential in the culture of 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 the medical practice and that he happened to have a cocaine addiction and he was a, you know, a William Halstead, that's his name. Yes. And have you heard this, right? Yes. yes. So literally the reason that doctors have this machismo about zero sleep is because there's some coked out doctor in the 1800s (laughs) named William Halstead. Yes. Who was like, it's important that you never, and he was like on, he would go sleep, go without sleep for days. Yes. You know, so, so there's definitely a culture in, uh, in medicine. It's ebb and flow. You know, there's, um, periods of time when there appears to be some reform that's happening, some reform that's happening on uh, on sleep and in medicine and in particular training. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, when you're a trainee, you're like a private in the army, right? You know, <laughs> you finish medical school and you are uh, you're locked into somebody else's schedule, you know. And so, um, and there, there's an ebb and flow of uh, of of, uh, of of recognizing the importance of sleep sleep restriction, sleep deprivation on medical errors. And I think that is the, so so patient safety is a major problem. I think last numbers, 250,000 to 300,000 preventable deaths a year um, from medical error. And I think a lot of that is actually linked to sleep checklists. It's helped to some extent. 
I don't know. I've I've heard that story before. Not sure, but I know that that culture continues. Uh, and, well, Adder- Adderall and Adderall use apparently. I know it's common amongst writers. Yeah. Uh, in in Hollywood here, and then also journalists. I've heard yeah. there's a big Adderall problem. And in medical school, they said basically Adderall is everywhere. For, yes, yes. For, and it's not just ADD people. No, no, it's not because see again, Adderall helps focus, you know, focus the mind. But but again, a lot of distraction is related to. To sleep deprivation, and obviously you got to study, you got to you know commit to somebody else's schedule. If you're you know a resident, if you're in a, in a training environment, so there's just this culture for sure that, uh, and some of it is driven by the actual patient's schedule, right? So, it, it, so so I would say right now, if you think about, you have rounds. First thing in the morning, a doctor basically goes and they're checking on the patients, right? And then before they leave. They check on the patients, right? You know, so and and again, it, it varies by specialty, but but the, some of the high demand specialties, like particular surgery, um, you know, it's like anesthesiology, you know, some of the some of the uh, you know, critical care where, the where procedures take a long time, the, so the doctor the, needs to be there a long time. Exactly, and then then some then some of the specialties that are tied to the procedure. So so the patient comes out of surgery, goes into the ICU. Right, and then and then the uh, the ICU physician is going to the critical care physician is going to check on that patient, you know, the first thing to see how they're doing from the actual surgery, and they need to chart and all that stuff, and then and so it's a lot of it is driven by the actual procedures and and the culture of that's my patient versus kind of a team approach, right? You know, because at the end of the day, somebody's liable, so I think it's a liability problem. Mm. And, and, and that, you know, if there's an error on my patient, is my license? And, and well, then so it's, it's, it's a, yeah. The checklist manifesto kind of cr- portrays a culture of uh, headstrong, willful, kind of machismo doctor. And then all these nurses that are sort of picking up all the slack behind the scenes. Exactly. But there's, you know, there was a culture. Uh, I think another part of this book, they talk about the Korean, uh, it, the Korean airlines were having all these these crashes yes because of honor culture and that no one was speaking up to their the head captain exactly which was which was happening in the hospitals too right exactly exactly the nurses didn't want to tell the doctors that they were doing you know literally there were cases where doctors were about to make an incision to kill a patient and the nurses weren't speaking up yes and then same thing in the korean airlines was these uh co-pilots weren't speaking up to their bosses because it was not part of korean culture and the way they solved it was they they made the pilots work in English, because literally speaking in the English language apparently created more independence. More independence, exactly. Shocking, exactly. Crazy, but yeah. we're way off topic on sleep. Uh, as we're going into our final stretch here, because I know you have to head out here. Um, what what are three things that people can do from your you know a your book comes out uh, is now out will be out by the time this this podcast releases in January sixth, um, the the in the morning mind. But what do you think are the three easiest steps for people if they want to get better sleep hygiene they should read your book obviously but what would be like you know we talked about meditation you know that kind of some simple habits today are you know you know doing the, the child like if you're feeling stressed yes meditation alternate nostril breathing which I, i'm going to say forever now uh what are some other things you recommend for sleep good good sleep hygiene yeah yeah i think the first thing is um you know the first step is really recognizing that you have a sleep problem, right? You know, if if if, uh, if you're tired in, in the morning, groggy, you know, anxious, you know, just not pl- person a pleasant person to be around, that's the first step. Really recognizing, 
and then uh, doing everything possible to uh, improve your sleep hygiene. You know, whether that's you know having to you know kick your your uh, your, your flat screen television out of the living room. I mean, out of the bedroom. Um, you know, doing everything you possibly can. Get an old school alarm clock where you're not you know first thing you're doing is not checking your your, your device at night. Yeah, and really just cleaning up. You know, so whether you can only get four hours of sleep or you can get a full you know. Uh, seven and seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, regardless of what it is, really making it as pure as possible, uh, and, and where, where you can maximize that. I would say that the other thing as well is, uh, is looking for ways to improve your overall schedule, you know, and over the course of the day. And, and that is, you know, um, some planning and sticking to, to your actual plan. And, uh, because that's also going to, we talked about energy management. That's going to help you better manage your energy yeah. if you know what you're going to do. And then, uh, and then really be open to, um, ways to, uh, to provide more energy for yourself. And, and again, whether that's, you know, committing and, and trying not to commit to everything, you know, say, okay, I'm going to uh, commit every day. Um, to walking outside and getting five minutes of sunlight. I mean, everybody should be able to. <laughs> you, you can even read a read a read, you know you know read something while you're doing it. But just commit to really getting out and getting getting some sunlight. You know, just just doing everything possible. And then maybe commit to saying, okay, I'm going to learn. Maybe you know do a guided meditation or do something, taking a nap. You know, to do something in the middle of the day. And so 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 really, that third thing is. Is uh, really working to incorporate something to improve your overall energy management, you know, because I think that is the and, and really realizing it is holistic, right? That, that that is not one thing, it's not just a diet, it's not just exercise, but in a very simplistic way, look for ways to just really improve your your mind and body, you know, over the course of the day and, and really being committed to it. That's great. I think one thing that I think is an easy tip is the app on your iPhone. I'm going to look it up while we're talking here. Yes. I can't remember the name of it. Is it called Sleep Time? Yes. It's in the it's in the it's in the clock functionality and it's called Bedtime. Bedtime exactly. But just yep. setting an alarm yep. for bedtime is such an important thing. We we just started it my, my girlfriend and I just at 11 o'clock, which isn't, you know, we probably should be going to bed even earlier. But that's just a nice reminder to be like, you know, particularly if you're binge watching Netflix. Like yes. that, you hear that go off. You're like, you know what? We should pause this. Let's get cycled down here. Exactly. But that's a, such an easy little thing to do that can get you on a better sleep path. Exactly. Exactly. And and, and again, uh, you know, tied to that, um, a number of electronic devices will actually help um, help monitor your uh, your sleep. And so it'll give you some base. It will, obviously, it's not as... Yeah, you said the Fitbit. The Fitbit, uh, yeah. You, you found out that you, of all people, the sleep guru. Had sleep apnea. Had sleep apnea. Yeah. And that was because of your Fitbit, right? Because of my Fitbit. I was able to look at it and I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of movements at night. And so I subsequently went in and had a sleep study and I had a mild or moderate sleep apnea. So, so, so again, and, and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that, but 100% um, the thing that you can definitely do is uh, if you feel or if you have any indicators like tired legs in the morning, or or, or 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 you say, man, I was actually slept seven and a half, eight hours, and I'm still tired. Yeah, that's a that's an indicator that you probably need to get in and actually have a sleep study because you probably have uh, you probably one of those millions of Americans with some type of underlying sleep disorder. Well, my problem was I did the sleep studies twice. Yes, and I did one when I was having all these problems with night terrors back yes. in. Um, 
you know, 2001, 2002. And then again, like maybe four years ago, when I woke up with a lamp in my hand trying to climb out, like yes. I was like scraping at a window that had a curtain. I wasn't yes. about to jump out a window, but that's something will definitely a wake up call. Yes. Both sleep studies, they, they basically were like, you had a perfect seven and a half hours of sleep. Yes, yes. And I was yes. like, well, what the hell's happening? You know, so that, yeah. but I mean, for, for for me, one of them was just like, I just never touched Adderall ever again. Yes. I knew that was a problem. And I think that's, there's got to be some, a link there. You can, Adderall is a, uh, it's a, it has to, has to be coming at the expense of your health. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. you're probably not sleeping sure. as much, but, so don't do Adderall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's crazy, man, the sleep study. But I think the Fitbit is something that everyone... Yeah, yeah. Everyone it, thinks about it as a step counter, but the sleep counting is what. It's really yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so definitely the some of the so some of the devices that's kind of beyond just the step counter has some incredible features. And again, it's not you know it's not clinical, but but it will help you overall uh, monitor your performance and and it may help identify something else that's going on there. Well, the book is the Morning Mind. Yes, and you read it with your wife. Will you remember your wife's name again? Kirti. I want to make sure we get her due credit. Yes. Uh, sounds like she was responsible for getting you on the right path yes. after the war. And I appreciate your service. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, let's do it again. I feel like we could, there's a lot that we scratched the surface of yes, that we can talk do about down sure. the road. So yes. um, thanks for coming on, Rob. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey guys, if you're liking the podcast and want to help us out, just a quick reminder to go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave a comment, suggest some new people we should have on the show, topics you want us to discuss, and you can also do the same on Twitter. You can hit me up at at Jeff Grace, and otherwise, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.